Hello and welcome back to Encounters with God, a series of podcasts at Seven Vineyard where we are looking into the Old Testament and meeting characters in the Old Testament that have had encounters with God and wondering what on earth that could be like. What can we learn about God from them and what might God want to say to us? And today I am joined by Joanna Moss. Hi, Ben. Joanna, you just did a brilliant talk on Sunday about a character in the Old Testament uh, that really grabbed your attention. Could you tell us who they were and a, and a bit more about them? Why did they grab your attention? So I did a talk on Rahab, who is in the book of Joshua. So that's near the beginning of the Old Testament, in the, kind of near the beginning of the Israelite story. Uh, and I picked her partly because she's a woman. And I feel like sometimes in church, we don't speak a lot about the women. We hear a lot about the different men in the Bible, which is great because we have some really great stories about them. Uh, but I really wanted to pick a woman out and focus on her story as well, because often their stories are smaller. So I thought maybe it's a chance to get more out of a smaller story that maybe other people might overlook. Um, and I also picked her because she's not like the typical Bible hero that you pick. You know, she's called a prostitute. That's the name she's normally known by. Um, and I think a lot of us can maybe relate, not to necessarily being a prostitute, but I think a lot of us can relate to sometimes feeling like uh, a bit of an outsider or maybe that church you know is church the place for me is full of these people that seem holy or seem to have their everything together in their life or seem to know what they're talking about um whereas Rahab isn't that person she's she's not the atypical uh Israelite or Jewish person but actually she's someone who plays a massive part in the story of God and in God's wider plan and in Jesus's family which I think is really cool and I think it actually speaks a lot about who God is and how he thinks of us and the type of people he wants to use in his story. Interesting. Yes. So I, I must admit, I, my impression of Rahab is that, isn't that she's an outsider in her community, but actually she's probably quite well connected because she's the person that the king goes to when, when the king finds out the spies around. And so as I, I always had this picture of Rahab just being like the madam, you know, the the person who runs the local hostelry and and so knows all the gossip, as I think you said in your talk, you know, she'd be quite well connected. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the impression the story gives is that she's the first place the spies go to. She's the first place the king goes to. She seems to run her household. Like she's the one that negotiates the deal with the Israelites. She's the one that says, no, save my family. Like I've helped you, you help me. She seems like very in control, very mm. quick very on it, um, which I think is also something I appreciate about her character. She's not meek and mild as so many other women can be portrayed from that culture where often mm. it's the, it's the man, the, the husband or the father who's leading the family, who's leading everything. Um, I guess I still see her as an outsider in terms of how we come to her now in our culture saying she's a prostitute. You know, if, if you were, uh, I think my housemate was asking me that she said, you know, what if a prostitute did come into church and, short skirt, ripped tights, potentially on different substances, how would you react as a church? And it's saying, you know, for some of us, we might be in instances where people might be disgusted with that type of person being next to them or sat next to them. Um, but actually, that's not how God's church obviously should be. It's a hmm. church that welcomes anybody. But um, so, yeah, I think in some ways she's connected. She also knows a lot of people. But I still think from her position within the city uh, where her house was. She's also someone who was, she's well-connected, people know her, but maybe not respected. I think that's the mm. difference, isn't it? 
someone can be well connected in terms of they know a lot of people, but still not respected or held in high regard by other people. Yes, yes. Now, you mentioned about what she had heard and when she'd heard it about God. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I think that, that, that that's vital to understand Rahab, I think. Definitely. And I think it's a crucial bit in her story. And it's really nice that there's is so much heard from Rahab. There's so much written down about what she said. She has this big speech in the middle of the story where basically she says to the spies, you've come, like, I know who your God is. I've heard the stories that he led you through the desert. He led you through the Red Sea. Um, he's destroyed other cities. I've seen his power. And um, basically, like, I believe in him. I believe he's going to help you conquer our city. Um, and he is the God, the one God of heaven and earth. Um, and that's one of the first like declarations of who God is by an outsider. So I think Rahab's one of the first converts um, to Judaism in the Bible. Um, so yeah, that that speech in the middle is so key because it's basically her declaring herself. It's her pledge to Israel. It's yeah, it's her her pledge of her beliefs. Yeah, and, and why do you think God made such an impression on her that she was willing to kind of make that massive step? That's a great question. I think it's hard to know, isn't it? I can only surmise what I would think if I put myself in her shoes. Maybe part of it was that she'd seen a God that didn't fail, that she'd seen a God that came through for his people. Um, I know that the society culture she was a part of, they believed in several different gods. One of them was like the God of the moon. Um, And I don't know whether her relationship with those gods would have been that she'd prayed to them, she'd given sacrifices and hadn't got things in return, that basically these were gods that didn't come through for her um, and that things were more fickle or, uh, yeah, just didn't, either they did or didn't happen. Uh, Unpredictable, maybe. But maybe what she sees in the Israelite God is that he's the one that's constantly there for his people that is present and can actually make things happen. Mm. Mm. And maybe that's what she was looking for. Yes, could be. It could be. I I think that sounds very relatable to me as well. Um, Another thing I noticed about where it's set in Jericho is a very strategic, very important city, really, isn't it? What can you tell us that you found out about it? Jericho is one of the oldest settlements or one of the oldest cities in the world. Um, Mm. And it's one of the oldest cities that has a protective wall. Um, So archaeological archaeologists have gone back to that site and dug over and they found that those four walls were rebuilt like dozens of times throughout history. And there are several different communities that live there. Um, But that city itself was actually quite small. So we think city, we might think of Bristol or Birmingham or London. Uh, which are these massive cities. And actually Jericho was only six acres. So that would take you like an hour to walk around. So kind of the size actually more like of our neighborhoods. You know, if you'd live in different parts of Bristol, it's probably actually more the size of that. Um, so in a in sense of the city, it was more like a couple of neighborhoods and more of a place for, because of its location, it was more strategic. So it was between the boundary of other settlements. So a lot of people would pass through Jericho uh, so by having a settlement there, it was a way of kind of keeping track of the comings and goings of the area. Mm. Um, and also they had lots of springs in the center of Jericho. So mm. if you're traveling through a barren landscape, through the Jordan Valley, it's desert, it's hot, there's not much water. Uh, Jericho was a place you could go to and actually there'd be lots of water, lots of trees, lots of plants. It's more like an oasis, like a mini oasis in the middle of this desert. 
Um, mm. So I think the wars are also protecting that resource. Ah, yeah. Okay. So it's actually important for, for quite a few, few things. I think the way I understand it, I think it's also quite iconic because it's been there such a long time. It's kind of, you know, cities are really important in general because they took people away from having to be glued to work in the land all the time for themselves. You could go and store food. That means you can go and have careers that aren't just farming. And so all sorts of human development, human achievement is based on being able to have a city and, and to be able to defend the grain that you've brought in from the land, all that sort of thing. And it, and it strikes me maybe it really stands for something like if, if, if that goes, if, you know, if God's going to do something in the area and, and something happens to Jericho, well, he's really doing something. Uh, I was reminded of Babel in a way, and it's, it doesn't sound like it's trying to be so big and impressive, but Babel sort of st- stands in Genesis for human achievement and humans doing it their own way. And maybe Jericho is, was also, maybe, maybe people would have read that as a symbol of this is something we built and now God's coming in to do his thing. Do you think there might be an element of that? Yeah, maybe that's a really good thought. Um, I, it reminds me as well of how, because of how well fortified Jericho was, it'd been really hard to take it under human power. Uh, so for an army to come and take it, it would have been like a massive operation because mm. to firstly to kind of get into the city, but even if you tried to starve the inhabitants, you know, they had grain stores and all this, you know, all of their resources are in there. They could have lasted a long time under siege. So maybe it's also that as well, that Jericho is almost, if anything, you know, the hardest place to break into at that time and to take over as humans. So maybe it's only, you know, it was only through God's power. One of those things that you look at it and go, well, that could have only been through God or some supernatural power Mm. because they couldn't have done it without him. You can't say like, oh, they're a great army. Oh, they're really good at warfare. It's no, they, they couldn't have possibly taken it on their own. It had to have been God that took it for them. Very interesting. Yeah, I think, spoiler alert, we're actually going to look at the story probably ne- next week. Uh, I think Jack is going deeper into what Joshua is up to. I um, just want to explore a bit more about Rahab and your connection, the connection that you feel to the story. I, I really was really interested in, in what you said in your talk about how faith can get demonstrated in the life of someone like Rahab. You quoted someone who said, faith doesn't ignore reality. It just adds God to the equation. Yes. What, what does that mean? And what, what does that mean to you? I think for me, it's saying that when tough things happen or when we're suffering something, some people say like, oh, just have more faith or trust God more as if like that's the problem. As if, you know, you're only feeling that way because you're not trusting God enough. That, oh, you're only feeling hurt, upset, um, frustrated because you're not trusting God enough. Um, and, you know, there is a slight element of that of God saying, you know, he says that, he can give us peace and that we should give him his, our anxious thoughts. But I guess for me is recognizing what happens to us and the pain and the messiness of that, but saying that God is still there in the midst of it. And that sometimes he comes in and fixes it completely. Um, but other times he doesn't, but either way, he's still there present. Uh, so if you're going through something really difficult, you don't understand um, or something that's really hard, he is still present in that reality, whether you see change in your circumstance or not, he is still present. Um, and yeah, he might choose to change that and work physically through that situation, or he might just choose to work through you. But either way, he's going to bring about change, whether that's manifest in your world or whether that's just manifest in your spirit and in your soul and internally. 
mm. you know, for example, whether he gives you peace or whether he helps grow you as uh, grow closer to him or yeah, however it is, I can think of like different instances in my own life where he's come in and changed that reality physically or whether he's just been at work in me. And even though my circumstance hasn't changed, how I feel about it changes because hmm. of him. That sounds very interesting. Can you give us an example? I knew that was going to be the follow-up question. Um, I guess I've seen instances, say, in my family where I've had family members that have been ill. So like my mum is struggling with IBS at the moment. And she's been able to get really quick doctor's appointments as in it's come through the specialist she's seen have been like, we can refer to this. And then she's been referred. And then within a week, she's been having an appointment with a specialist. And it's like, that's a really quick turnaround for the NHS. Um, so that's kind of a physical change that we that I'd attribute to God. Hmm. Um, maybe more like a emotional or spiritual one has been, you know, we had a member in our church who died very suddenly. She was our youth pastor. She was only 23. She just collapsed on morning of a heart attack and died. And for us as a youth group, we'd just gone off to university. And, you know, that's a trying time anyway. And we got this news and it, it throws you, like, you know, pulls the rug out from underneath you. Um, and in that moment, you're like, where is God? And we knew that our pastor had prayed over her, um, our friend that had died, and, you know, asked God to raise her from the dead. We prayed over the medics, but, you know, you know she died. Um, but actually seeing how God worked in that situation and in, in her husband. So her husband was one of the first people our youth group met when we all came back from uni. They stood at the door of our church and he just said, how are you? Like, I'm so sorry this has happened. Like, how can I be praying for you? How can I help you? And you're like, your wife has just died and you're 21. Like, this is massive. But in his heart, he was like, you know, I'm grieving. I'm so upset. I don't know what to do, but I know that God is with me. And I know that he's given me this peace and it's going to take longer to get over this and move on and breathe. But he's like, right now I can feel God so close to me. And seeing that for me shifted my perspective on the situation. And I, like, I just felt like God with me. So the circumstance didn't change physically, but my response to it and my feelings to it were changed because of how God was at work within us. Wow. And I loved the story that you shared as well, where you related to Rahab being labelled and, and the story that you shared in your talk about being told in your science career that you wouldn't make it as a scientist. And it seems odd to say I loved that story because <laughs> I only loved the way it turned out. Um, how, how did that, how was God involved in, in turning that around for you? Gosh, that's a big story. Um, I think I have the initial bit of it, which was in that story, in that workplace, I kind of got to the end of my time there. And I think I was trying to push through in my own strength. And then I got to the point where I was like, I, I can't do this anymore and gave it over to God. And then not immediately, like I felt at times quite abandoned by God, but in the end it was, I knew that God was with me and that he was the one that had taken it on. And it, I had a really interesting conversation with my boss afterwards where he was like, you know, you've gone through a lot this year, like a lot of things haven't worked out. And if, he was like a lot of older, more senior people would have crumbled, but you didn't. Like, how come? It seems like you have this inner strength. And I was able to just go, that's God. Like, you know, that is God. And then I shared my testimony with him. But for me in that instance, 
it was really cool to share my testimony with him, but it was more that he'd seen it, that I was like, oh gosh, you've seen what's happened and how I've been able to not break because of God's strength. So it kind of amazed me that he'd been able to see that. What sort of science do you do, Joanna? I do basic research, which <laughs> doesn't sound great. So I am a research scientist. I work in a lab um, most days, and that means that uh, we're working with animals or tissue samples exploring genes and gene mutations and how they're involved in bone development in particular. Uh-huh. And how unusual is it for people that you know in, in, at your work or, or other similar places of work to find people of faith who also believe in God as well as working in science? I think in my field, I don't find very many. Uh, so I'm, I'm more like biology-based, developmental biology-based uh, uh, yeah, I haven't found that many questions at all. Uh huh. Do you think there were reasons for that? Do people have reasons for not sharing that faith? I've yeah, chatted to colleagues about it. I think there's big respect for what I believe and people are interested, but for them it's, uh, that's great, but I don't need it, or science can explain. Hmm. Science can explain everything instead, so why do you need a faith? Why do you need the Bible to tell you how the world was made? Um, a lot of these ancient people, you know, needed a God to explain what was going on in their world, you know, for disease, for anything, for natural seasons and processes. But we can explain that all now by science. So I don't need that God and I don't need all the rules and baggage that's attached to it. I'll be honest, that sounds quite reasonable. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I felt that, that that God was a belief to have in order to fill those the gaps in their understanding then yeah um yeah you'd expect god to get smaller and smaller the more our our understanding gets bigger and bigger but i'm i'm guessing you don't look at it like that how how is your view of god different then that so that god doesn't get smaller the more a need for, to, for him to explain things gets smaller mm. um yeah we actually had this conversation a few weeks ago and i think it's all about challenging i guess what who you view God is and what you think the purpose of God or the Bible is. So for me, it was trying to say that I don't need God to explain my how, but he explains my why. So when I look at the creation story, I don't see it as a way of understanding how the world was made because I can look at science. I can look at journal articles about that and I can go to conferences or talks. He helps explain my why, like why is the world here? Why is the world as it is? I think most crucially, why am I the way I am? with all my complexities and beauty, but also uh, really terrible bits, you know, the bits of me that I don't like or behaviors that I have and um, the messiness in that I see in my own nature and in my family and friends. Uh, the Bible helps me understand why we are as we are and also what we can do about it. I think most people want to see change in the world. They want to be good a good person and they want to see things change they want to see more justice they want to see um more love they want to see more equality um and i think the bible helps us show us a way of bringing that about bringing about political change social change emotional change personal change in its own complicated messy way as well interesting yes uh so I think a lot of people can relate to that, the the idea of the need for change. Just coming back then to Rahab's story, though, I, I, I can see how people might see it from another point of view. Of, is it from the point of view of people who grew up on a, in a land or in a city and they felt this was their thing 
and 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 the change coming was God coming to go. Well, I'm going to flatten it. <laughs> you know, that doesn't necessarily doesn't that mean that change from some people's point of view is is a really bad thing. Yeah, I think. Well, my view is that all change is bad, so I hate change. Uh, but no, it's a good point, and I think I try to not stray into this in my story because I think it could be a whole other talk. And that is, yeah. you know, how do we square what we think of God and what God says with what we see in the Bible in terms of violence and cities being destroyed and women and children being killed? Um, they're really good questions and really good things to look at and chat about. Um, as well. Uh, I tried to make sure I stayed away from that in my talk so that I could focus on Rahab. Um, but I guess to give a little bit about it, because I did read up about it because it's a question I have. Like, I'm not going to read that story and think, wow, that's amazing. God, you know, they've raised that city to the ground and that's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that sounds weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not normal to think that. And I guess part of it is that we, I guess we have to understand the context of it, which is why understanding that it's not a city like we think it, it was more like a military stronghold. So there were families living there, but it wasn't like a whole city. Um, another thing is that often in these older books, they will exaggerate. You know, they say that we destroyed the city, we destroyed the land of Canaan. But, you know, a few chapters later, you hear about Canaanites. So it's like, well, clearly you haven't killed all of them because there's still some that are about. So often they would exaggerate in their conquests to say like, oh, we destroyed that city, flattened it, those people are no more. Um, because that's just what they did. That's how they wrote their stories. Mm. Um, it's all about who looked best coming out of it. Um, so it's understanding, I guess, those bits of context. Um, but I guess the main thing I found out about it, and I guess the main way I tried to square it in my own head, and there's an article from the Bible Project, which is actually really helpful, that I guess we can link maybe after this video, in the bottom or on the webpage, um, was that God didn't um, take the city for the Israelites because the Israelites are so good and they deserved it. It was because the Canaanites were so evil and so bad. That that's why God wanted them out of the land. So these were people that believed in a variety of different gods who would demand things like child sacrifice or uh, prostitution or uh, even like child prostitution or like sex worship which may involve like kids in the temple that are being abused um they're people that yeah were murderers and uh in numbers and leviticus there's more talk about who the canaanites are and what they did and it's more of god saying i've given them time i've told them who i am i've told them how i want to change and they haven't and that's gone on for generation generations and so no longer will i let it stand no longer will i let this evil rampage I'm going to take the land and remove those people. Okay, so it wasn't just a justified by my God's bigger than your God sort of thing. It was more a, a case of no, there's a there's a real there's a thing here that's going on that is objectively bad, and and God's coming in with something that's objectively different. Is that right? Does that sound fair? Yes, it does. And I think again, it becomes messy because humans are messy. And the Israelites do things that God didn't want them to do necessarily. Yeah. Um, yes. But yes, that is the, the the end of the tip of it, I guess, is that God says, I've given these people a chance. I've waited them for them to repent for generations. Like, this isn't just like I asked them once and they said no. This is you know, generations of God pleading with them and then they're, they're not turning around. And he's saying, you know, I'm done with this evil. I want to bring something new and life-giving into this land. So I'm going to give it over to my people in the hopes of achieving that 
Yes. And Rahab, just to come back to Rahab and finish with Rahab, I think her role in it is really remarkable again because there are other things to remember Rahab by that she couldn't have possibly known the significance of them at the time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I love that too, that idea that she she would never have known how big a story would be. She'd never have known it would be a story that we read now. And yeah, the fact that she's in Jesus' lineage, that she is a however many great grandmother of Jesus. Like she couldn't have possibly known that was going to happen. So I just think that's really cool. Yes, this seems to be a recurring theme, I think, as we're finding in all of the stories that we've looked at so far in the Old Testament, how just God is, we almost can't comprehend the bigness of God. I say almost, I mean, I literally can't comprehend the bigness of God. And and we can't comprehend our own significance either. Uh, but there's some, something that we can start to discover with this faith that you've, that you've that you've described really well and 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 i think sometimes it's sometimes we think of faith as a thing that gets us through day to day but but i love that these stories are, are connecting people and connecting us with the hope of, of of being part of something much 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 bigger than ourselves and much much more significant even you know just by being a parent or something you end up being changing you end up changing the world <laughs> no definitely and I think I almost spoke about this in my talk but didn't so it was a bit that got taken out was that I really love as well that there's some mirroring between her story and Boaz and Ruth's story so they're related um, and it says in the genealogy that and I said this in the talk that Rahab is Boaz's mother and I think it's not quite true as in if you go back through the number of years between the births that can't quite work out unless Rahab was really, really old. Um, so it's something that happens where, uh, like in where the genealogy is, they'd use telescopes, genealogies, oh, to pick out their favorite people. They pick out their favorite people. And then, so it is true that Rahab is related to Boaz, but it's maybe that she was his great, great grandmother. I see. So mother in the sense of. The mother, yeah, could, exactly. Mother or grandmother or great grandmother. Sort of yeah. And that's also what the Greek word means as well. It can mean hmm. direct mother or it can mean like, grand you know mother in a more grand um bigger sense but my point uh the point i think still stands is that you can see a lot of um mirroring so rahab is someone who's an outsider she's not in the israelite family but she gets brought into the middle and she gets accepted into that community and then boaz is someone her you know grandson is someone who marries ruth an outsider to bring it into the israelite community and also he's very respectful of women, especially, you know, Ruth was very vulnerable. Um, so Boaz is sort of the, one of the first people to say, like, I will look after you, basically, like, only tend in my fields and I will protect you. And maybe, I, you know, it makes me think, it makes me wonder if Boaz is influenced at all by Rahab, that Rahab probably was in some vulnerable situations herself, being a prostitute. And... Maybe that's reflected in Boaz's behaviour that he's protective of very vulnerable women and then chooses to marry her, marry Ruth, to bring her in to the Israelite community. So what I think is really cool about that is, and hope this makes sense, is that there's maybe how Rahab's experiences and her character, what she did, has influenced her grandson down these lines, that he is now someone that's willing to bring an outsider in and to protect the vulnerable. And how cool that is that, Maybe you can go through these experiences that aren't great, 
that are really challenging and difficult and leave you in pain, but through what you learn, you're able to pass on to your descendants and that can shape how they act. And instead, you know, they don't have to experience that pain, but they can learn through those lessons from you. And that can influence how they act and that can bring about further change is what mm. I think is really cool as well. Mm. It's not just about what happens in our life. Yeah. That can then influence like, yeah, our kids, our grandkids, our niece, our nephew, our cousins, our friends' mm. kids. And our colleagues and our neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be able yeah. to learn. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary to be a parent to have a, an influence on, on, on the world. I think yeah, through through any kind of loving relationship, you know, any any anywhere where someone regards you and, and will kind of at least, you know, notice that you've done something or said something remarkable. And that can ha- I think that can happen at work, too. Um, and uh, where's your hope in this, Joanna? If 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 you could, we might not, we might never be able to predict like the biggest change or the most significance we'll have in in our lives. But where would you love to make an impact? Gosh, that's a big question. I think my personal hope, or what I like, would like to see, is I'd like to see young girls growing up in the church outside the church who grew up knowing their worth and knowing their value and knowing that what they have to say is important um, and that they have great things to offer and that they shouldn't feel like they have to be quieter or not speak or um, that they can't step forward um, into positions of responsibility and into positions of leadership, um, that they would grow up into all that they're made to be. Um, That's, yeah, one of my personal hopes. Yeah. And I can see that that your hope and your message and your example all come together there. Um, so I very much hope that that God uses you in that way, and and we see more of that. That sounds amazing. Me too. Thank you very much for chatting today, Joanna. Next week uh, we're going to come back and talk to Jack, who's going to talk about Joshua. And so I think we'll probably explore this story a bit more, see it from another angle. Hopefully you can join us for that. See you then.